Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to the Podcast Hour. I'm Richard Scott and each week I find some of the best audio storytelling from around the world and share it with you. This week, the show Criminal. It's a favourite of quite a few of you. And you can loosely describe it as a podcast about crime. But it's a whole lot more than that too. Then Swipe Left, Swipe Left is a collection of funny tales about dating mishaps and romantic adventures. A New Zealander living in London is one of the people making it. After that, The Rule of Three dissects comedy classics. So two switched-on comedy writers get a guest to come in and nominate something that really makes them laugh. In the episode we're featuring, it's... The album of the soundtrack of the trailer of the film of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And finally, the popular science show Ologies speaks to some of the best ologists on the planet about their passions and the most interesting stuff they're discovering. That's all coming up, and I'm always on the lookout for good listening recommendations too. The email address is pods at radionz.co.nz, and on Twitter, we're at RNZ Podcast Hour. Criminal is a show that tells stories of people who've done wrong, been wronged, or got caught somewhere in the middle. Megan McChesney of the Lit Podcast and some of you have been recommending it to me. One recent episode features a powerful story called The Job. It's all about a man who has to teach himself how to execute people when the state of Oregon reintroduces the death penalty. This one is a little bit more light-hearted. It's called The Chase. I've never been a criminal of sorts, you know, I've just, um, I've found a way to challenge law, if you like. This is Mark Roberts. You may never have heard of him, but his name and his face are well known to law enforcement all over England. Before every major event, they have a big speech about what to look out for, and I come up every single time. A big picture of me on screen, everyone's given a picture of me to look out for me. You know, I'm looking at your Wikipedia page right now. I don't know know who wrote that. It certainly wasn't me, and a lot of it's not true. But there is this naked picture of you. Yeah. Oh, that's definitely me then. Mark Roberts lives in Liverpool. He's a 54-year-old house painter, a self-described sports fanatic, who likes a beer, and who's travelled all over the world. Can you list some of the sporting events you've done? How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done the Rugby Sevens in Hong Kong um, three times, the Chinese FA Cup final, uh, did the London Marathon. I came second in the London Marathon, actually. But I only did the last 100 metres behind the winner. The Champions League football final, which is the one next to the World Cup. I scored a goal in that. He's done Wimbledon twice, the running of the bulls in Pamplona, golf, horse racing, swimming, weather reports, a Mr. Universe contest, dog shows. 
He's done the Olympics, summer and winter. He was just in South Korea. Back in 2006, Mark went to the Winter Olympics in Italy to the curling competition. Curling is that sport where athletes slide stones across the ice and use brooms to control their speed. So I looked at the whole thing. I thought, well, they're cleaning the ice. So I'll go on with a mop. And I had a knocked knock handkerchief on my head, clothes pegs in my ears. So I'm going on as a cleaner. Marigold gloves on my hands and a big rubber chicken stuck to um, little Fred downstairs. How many times have you done this? How many times have you streaked? Well... Up to, up to today, it's 565 uh, streaks um, in 23 countries. You know, if, if, it, if you've got a good act, you take it on tour, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. His first streak was in Hong Kong in 1993. He was in a bar with friends and saw a news story about a woman who had streaked. Mark wasn't impressed. He said, I could do that. I just said, oh, anyone can streak. So the owner of the bar was next to me. He said, well, OK, big mouth. You streak tomorrow in the final? I said, yes, because I was rotten drunk. Mark went home and passed out. And before he knew it, his friends were banging on his door, ready to take him to the rugby match. He had no memory of what he'd promised to do, but he did have a horrible hangover. I said, just give me a beer. So I... Two, two, three beers. I went, right, let's get this over and done with. So I've walked right down the main stand, took my clothes off, and all, the All Blacks, the best team in the world at the time, were playing South Africa. So I've ran on, totally naked, ran backwards, way to the stands, as if to say, OK, I've done it. But as I turned around, I saw the ball, and something in my head just said, grab that. So I've run over, picked the ball up, ran the whole length of the field, and scored a try, a touchdown. In that exact moment, in Hong Kong, Mark had a breakthrough. He knew exactly what he had to do with the rest of his life. As I've turned around, the whole stadium, 65,000 people, all rose to their feet, started screaming and cheering. I literally felt the energy from everybody all at once. It was like opening the door of a sauna and the heat hit you. It literally felt like that. And I have got a lovely body, you know, I'm not well built downstairs or anything. I'm just a normal guy. But everyone loved it. It went over so well that he couldn't wait to do it again. Two days later, at a different stadium, a soccer game between Hong Kong and South China. That first time, he was too hungover to be nervous. But the second time, he was so excited, he could barely stay in his seat. I've got to look normal, because I can't look out of place. I just join in with all the rest of the supporters and the crowd. But inside, I am all over the place. My heart's going crazy, my stomach's churning, my mind's checking out every single uh, possibility. And all the time, I'm looking at the police and security, waiting to get a little point where I can go on. And virtually every single time I've done it has worked absolutely perfect. It's worked perfectly, except for all the times he's been arrested. And he's been arrested a lot for outraging public decency criminal trespass, public nuisance, breach of the peace, and causing, quote, alarm and distress to the public. Are you naked during the arrest process, mostly? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, usually, yep. What does it feel like 
right before you're about to take your clothes off, when you're... Uh, I mean, do you do it quickly? Do you, like, rip the clothes off? Yeah, I've got I've got Velcro clothes, specially made. Oh, um, you do? So they can come off in a second. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a professional. Mark has these special outfits made for him by a seamstress in Liverpool. He says she knows what they're for and that she's, quote, cool about it. His usual process is to get down on the field with his outfit on and then rip it off and take off running. So the the police go over and pick up your clothes off the field and kind of jog them over to you? Yeah, yeah. Do you ever think it's kind of mean to make a police officer chase down your pants <laughs> and deliver them back to you? Um, no, not really. As long as he's laughing when he hands them back to me, you know. Um, and that's what I've had with the police all the time. He did tell us about one time in Madrid when the police weren't laughing. They picked up his clothes and refused to give them back. Ripped all my clothes off on the pitch, got chased by seven policemen, taken taken away, put in a police station till 1.30 in the morning. I'm stark naked. And the police said, OK, you go. I said, my clothes? No clothes, no clothes. You go. I thought, this is a wind-up. So I said, OK. I've walked out the police station stark naked and I've started walking up the road, waiting for the police to call me back. But he didn't. Mark went back into the police station and said, OK, very funny. Now give me my clothes. And they eventually told him that they didn't even have them. They'd thrown them into the crowd, along with his passport, his phone, his ATM card, everything. He was stuck in the middle of Madrid, naked. Often law enforcement themselves are confused about what the law is, and a good example of that is a guy named John Brennan, who, um, like many of us, was frustrated going through um, airport security and being probed and examined by uh, TSA. This is Joanna Grossman, a professor at SMU Law School who's written about nudity in the law. And they were getting more and more invasive, and he, in protest, just stripped naked and stood there in the Portland airport, completely unclothed, saying basically, okay, now you can see everything. Um, I have nothing to hide. And he was arrested and turned out that, in fact, he hadn't done anything wrong, Um, in addition to having a very sympathetic story, because we could sort of all imagine getting mad enough that maybe we would do that. It, in that moment in time. Um, but it, the, being simply nude was not actually a violation of the relevant law. And even if it had been, it, the court looked at it and said, look, he's protesting that you can use nudity just like you can use speech or protest in other forms uh, to protest the government. And that what he was really doing was protesting government surveillance and the increasing invasion of privacy. So let's say that you are in a jurisdiction where nudity is illegal. Why is it illegal? Nudity is illegal because of concerns about public sensibilities, affront, um, provocation. It's not about simply the shame of the human body, although that, of course, pervades our culture in lots of different ways. If you look at the structure of nudity law, particularly what is and isn't illegal, you get a different sense, first of all, depending on gender. So when you look at laws that affect 
nudity by women, what you really see is a concern about enticement, right? We worry about women being naked or being topless because we worry that people will be driven to distraction or worse. When you think about men and the naked male body and you look at our culture and legal history, when we worry about men, we're not worried about people being too distracted or too enticed by the sight of the male body. What we're worried about is that it's threatening. Now, that might end up in a law that looks very similar, right? That might say nobody can show their genitals, for example. But we really have very different concerns for men versus women. Some of episode 94 of Criminal from Radiotopia called The Chase. That episode goes to the Super Bowl and, and of course, Janet Jackson's infamous wardrobe malfunction. There's more of that. And 95 other episodes at the Criminal website. Links at radionz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour now. And if you do go to the Criminal website, I like the fact there's a little section dedicated to people who haven't listened to the show before. Uh, that recommends four episodes to start with if you're new to it. The path to true love isn't always smooth and festooned with freshly cut flowers. It can also be rutted with misfortune and bordered by anxiety, embarrassment and humiliation. Swipe Left, Swipe Left collects personal stories of the unexpected things that happen on the road to romance and tells them in an immersive way using music and sound effects to turn up the humour and the emotion. For those who haven't done much swiping themselves, swiping left's what you do on a popular dating app if you're not that interested in a person. The show is the creation of New Zealander Gavin Wong. He works in IT in London. And English radio producer Claire Crofton. They're a couple who were having way too much fun hearing about their single friend's dating exploits to keep the stories all to themselves. They record and make the show at weekends and in their spare time. And now total strangers are sharing their stories with them too. I'll speak to Gavin and Claire in just a minute, but first I wanted to play you some Swipe Left, Swipe Left. This is Archie telling his story from the latest episode called Breaking Point. So I was living in Edinburgh and I was studying there. I was at uni at the time. I was in my final year and I had just started dating this girl called Gail. Very nice girl who was quite shy. And we'd been on like a few drinks and it had been like pretty nice but like still very very early days and we'd been out on a quite a big night out the first time we'd spent the night in each other's house and that was cool and the next day just felt like absolutely just rotten you know, you're just so hungover, you wake up really late and it's November time, so it got dark quite early. It was pretty cold and classic Edinburgh, super windy and miserable. But I always have this approach to hangover that literally you just have to power through it. That's the best way to deal with it. She wasn't on the same page so much. It was like, I kind of just want to chill and eat food and watch TV or whatever. And I was like, no, no, no. Let's go, let's go do something fun, let's go out in the sun. And she was just like, oh, I mean, do we have to? I was like, yes, we have to, we should go out. So I suggested that we go for a walk up Arthur's Seat, which is the big hill slash mountain in the middle of Edinburgh. I was definitely keen to impress. I was definitely like, I want to 
show this girl what I'm about sort of thing. And, you know, being quite an outdoorsy person, I thought, oh, I'll take her into my element. Because I'd stayed at hers, I didn't really have any of my warm clothing and it was quite a cold day. I just was still wearing what I'd gone out in the night before. So also feeling a bit gammy and whatever. We set off on the walk and she's actually like pretty bloody hungover and I'm I'm usually quite cheery and just can't stop chatting when I'm hungover but she's not really the same on the same page and she was very quiet looked a bit pale and already didn't look very well so I was like all right there's also quite a rough track I kind of like persuaded her to do it even though it'd been raining like the day before and it was quite muddy and she didn't have very good shoes on and neither did I but I was like it'll be fun and it would be like a team bonding exercise so we got up, we sat and watched the sunset. Me being a bit of a science nerd, I was like, oh, did you know that you can watch the sunset twice? If you get on my shoulders, I can show you what I mean. And she was like, no, I'd really rather not. I'm not feeling too good. And I was like, no, it's fine. Get on my back, I'll give you a piggyback and then you'll be able to see the sun again, like, even though it's set. Which is like, when you think about it, it's super obvious. I don't know why I thought it would be like a clever chat line or whatever. Anyway, she gets on my back and I'm like, eh, like bouncing about. I took one step, two step, and then the third step, bam. Like I really like landed on my bum. Oh, and I look at her and she's not really moving. She's kind of looking down at her boot and then she wouldn't say anything. I was like, oh, your shoes come loose, like your shoes come off. And I like go down to grab her shoe and I feel it and I realise it's like, oh shit, her shoe hasn't come off at all. Her leg is completely snapped, it's like completely broken. She's like, all right, stay calm. Everything's fine. We're going to sort this out. Can you feel your leg? Is it okay? And she was whimpering at this point. Yeah, it really hurts. If you just wait here, I'll give you my jacket and I'm just going to go see if I can find someone. And there was quite a few people because it, granted, it was a beautiful sunset. So I run off and I do this kind of very like awkward British thing. Um, does, does anyone have any kind of medical experience here? Sorry to interrupt you. There are lots of people doing these kind of like romantic sunset views with their partners. And there was this one guy, David, and he said, uh, yeah, I'm a dentist. As if, like, it was his time to shine. In my head, I was like, well, 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 I'm sure he's got some kind of medical qualifications that'll do. And I was like, okay, cool. Listen, I'm just with this girl. And at this point, we definitely had not defined what kind of relationship we had. So I'm like, I'm with my friend and she's hurt herself. Could you possibly give me a hand? And I think the way that I said it, it just sounded really odd. He probably looked at me like, what have you done? And so he comes over with me and I was like, oh, I've brought help. I, <laughs> I brought a dentist. And she's like, <laughs> great. And he was like, yeah, I've never really sort of been in this situation before. I was like, well, no, no one has. Like... <laughs> She was like, I want to call my flatmate. And I was like, yeah, yeah, fine, we'll get him on the phone. It kind of like has an open heart to heart with her friend on the phone. Connor, I'm stuck, I've hurt my leg and I'm with this guy. 
And I'm in a t-shirt, by the way, because I've given her my jacket, so I am freezing. I am absolutely freezing. And David's there, the de- David the dentist, and David's kind of like, um, right, I think our best option is to lift her. And we lift her up. She's kind of like, no, 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 stop. Like, I just think it's time to call 999 and see if we can get some support. So I call up 999 and obviously I get taken to like a central cooling center and they're like, 999, uh, what's your postcode or something? And I was like, uh, well, I don't know. I'm on top of Arthur's seat. And they're like, what's that? And I was like, uh, it's the, like the big recognizable mountain in Edinburgh. And they were like, well, we're in Birmingham. We don't know what you mean. And I was like, okay, well, uh, I, it doesn't have a postcode. I'm just in the big park. Like I'm at the top of the hill in the big park in the Edinburgh but they were quite insistent I got a postcode so I remember just like hanging up <laughs> and and, and Gail like looking at me like oh did you get one and I was like no I need to give them a postcode and she's just looking at me like what kind of numpty are you but eventually I found that there was like some cottage at the bottom of the seat so I called back up and I was like this is the postcode, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, okay, fine, we'll call Mountain Rescue. And I was like, well, couldn't we have done this before? If you knew, I told you I was top of a mountain. Holy shit, I've seen this before. I've seen this when I was a student, like helicopters flying over Arthur Sea. And I usually think like, oh, what kind of numpties had an accident in Arthur Sea? And I was like, oh no, this is me. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be in the Edinburgh Evening Standard or something. <laughs> I'm not going to make this about me. Obviously, I was trying to like look after this girl, Gail, who was having a terrible time. I just remember seeing something on TV. I was like, well, when someone's had an accident, you've really got to just keep them engaged and focused on something. Then I was like, all right, let's just use this as an opportunity to get to know each other. Mostly try and keep her talking and like talking to me. So I just remember just asking her loads of things like, oh, what's your favourite colour? What's your favourite food? Oh, tell me about your first kiss. So, Gail, like, um... You know, do you have dogs? <laughs> in a way, it could have been like really romantic if it was another situation, just because of the intensity of it. But it definitely wasn't. It definitely wasn't. We're just waiting there for about forty minutes. There's no sign of a helicopter. I'm like, what? What is going on? And then I just like see this lights coming up the hill. Oh no, what is this? And I swear to God, it was basically like a moon buggy with what at the time just looked like these astronauts coming up the hill. (laughs) And they just like put in this mega duty sleeping bag and then just like stuff her full of laughing gas and then she just starts like giggling uncontrollably and so we go down and uh, it's like really muddy and we're sort of like going down and we get down to the track and there were like two ambulances it was quite a big operation she's like completely delirious and can't really answer any questions that they need to do for like their form filling well, the first question was, oh, and what? how do you know this girl? And at this point, I'm like, uh, she's a friend? Well, whatever it is, it's probably over now. Eventually got taken to the hospital. She actually had to get an operation on her fibula to get it fixed. But yeah, and then we ended up dating for like nine months after that. And 
I don't know what <laughs> I don't know how she forgave me for that. But uh, yeah, that's the story about how I broke a girl's leg on pretty much one of the first dates. And then she still has a scar like on her thing. So I remember saying to her, like, well, you never, you know, even if you break up, you're never going to forget me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> To me, the best chat-up line of the entire series, do you have any dogs? <laughs> I just, I love it. I love it. This story is incredibly unique. I, I've never broken a girl's leg before and ended up dating her. Thank you, Archie, for telling it. I love the way that throughout this crisis, well, this poor girl is shivering with a broken leg, with her fibia sticking out her skin. Archie's main concern is whether he's going to look like a numpty in the Edinburgh Standard. <laughs> Not that it's about him. <laughs> I can imagine that David, the dentist, tells this story at every dinner party and he's like the hero of the situation, which he kind of was, so like, big up to David. Archie's story called Breaking Point from Swipe Left, Swipe Left, and the couple who make the show, New Zealander Gavin Wong and radio producer Claire Crofton, told me how they first came up with the idea a few years ago. We were on holiday in Portugal and we were thinking about how we could collaborate on a project together. And I'm in IT and Claire is a radio producer kind of making documentaries. And, and we came up with this idea of a podcast where we could collect stories from people online on a on a website and have people interact with these stories and vote and comment on them and then we could use the stories that were posted on a website to then generate content for the podcast and that would be this kind of self cycling process we would generate more stories and then and then we can turn them into podcast content as well and and we were maybe in a relationship for maybe four years at that point we had a lot of single friends and we we kind of clocked that every time we met up with them, we would really grill them on their love lives. And they all had really awful but fantastic dates to talk about. And we thought, this is golden. This is gold. And, and we just love being nosy as well and asking really inappropriate but you know, questions that you just really want the answers to. And, and it's kind of like, it's catnip to people in relationships, I think, because you live vicariously through your friends. Like, you can't go on these crazy dating adventures anymore, so you outsource it. So that's kind of, that was the genesis for the, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair summary. <laughs> and I think relationships are this gold mine of awkwardness that sometimes... I think it's great to share in them and, and come to that common understanding that it is just all really awkward and we're all f fluffing mm. our way through it. Yeah, muddling, muddling through. You guys didn't meet using Tinder or anything like that, did you? No, we didn't. So I think that was also part of our fascination that we, we kind of got together. Before those apps were really popular, we met in mm. Edinburgh in Scotland and I think it hadn't quite hit. No, no. I think it was still that phase where internet dating was a little bit like, hmm, People didn't oh, that's talk interesting. About it. Um, um, and then so I think when it sort of really kicked off, we were just fascinated by it. And there's something kind of counterintuitive that the, the free pass that a mic gives you to ask 
really intrusive questions. We really enjoyed that because we could really be nosy and ask those questions. But it's one thing, I guess, sharing a story with friends over a drink in the pub. I guess it changes the dynamic a bit where you suddenly turn up with recording gear. Was it difficult to kind of move from an informal chat into actually recording something? Was that a challenge? I I think so. Like, I think people in front of a microphone do get a little bit more nervous than you otherwise would like. But at the same time, I think it... These are stories that people have retold again and again, and it, and it's about getting people into the right mood to then retell the story. And I, I think it's, it was an interesting process for us because I think we would get people to tell the story first, and then we would ask some questions or get them to retell parts of it. And then I think in the second telling, it becomes really natural. And I think another thing to say is we we were never recording these in studios. Most of the people that we interviewed for the podcast were, were actually our friends or friends of friends. So we'd invite them over for a drink. We'd cook them dinner. <laughs> we'd kind of, yeah, get set up in our little kind of makeshift studio. And, and it created quite an intimate atmosphere, I think. Like the first telling, as Gav said, was maybe a little bit awkward, but there's something about that intensity. There'd be three of us sat on the sofa <laughs> kind of, uncomfortably close to get the mic you know really nice and close and sort of I suppose we didn't want to say anything to interrupt them so you're kind of staring at them yeah and Claire laughing at bits yeah I just couldn't resist resist. (laughs) yeah I just couldn't resist I I'm yeah I got the giggles quite a lot which yeah we tried to cut out but then we were like no it's uh, (laughs) hopefully endearing yeah, well, let's hope because I couldn't, I couldn't manage you to cut it out. It. But yeah, no, I think, I think people enjoyed it once we got into it. And and a lot of times people would remember things kind of spontaneously, didn't they? They'd be like, yeah. "Oh God, I just remembered." Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was another thing. There was this dentist there, yeah. and uh, and that was quite thrilling to see people sort of re-remembering flashbacks from their <laughs> traumatic dating history. So it was a case where the story almost improved in the retelling. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> And did that idea that you had, Gavin, of of having stories up on the website and people almost voting for them, and was that something that you that you experimented with as well as getting these stories from your friends? Yeah, definitely. So um, the website's been up for probably a year and a half now, and and we've had you know complete strangers posting stories on there and and emailing them in, and it's been really exciting to see that kind of grow. And that was such a buzz, wasn't it? Because initially we. You know, initially it started off as our pet project and everyone commenting was, you know, our friends and family. And then that first moment when we had a a post and we were like, do you know this person? Do you know this person? No, it's a stranger. Someone's interacting. And then it sort of just really took off and it was yeah. it was such a thrill. Are you surprised at how popular it's been? It's exceeded our expectations for sure. In the same breath, though, I'm so honoured that it's done so well, but at the same time, I think when we were making it and we came up with the idea, we were thinking, like, why hasn't this been done before? It felt like a very natural thing to do and it kind of ticked the boxes of mm. what, what I don't know what I want to hear anyway, but maybe I'm generalising, yeah. kind of juicy gossip about people's love lives. And funny stories that only improve in the retelling. You yeah, know, and we it's... felt there was a gap there, didn't yeah. we? With, I mean, we're both avid podcast listeners and we felt there was loads of stories about love, but they were edging towards more serious mm. or they were kind of chat rather than kind of storytelling. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know, maybe we just ticked a box that 
we kind of filled a niche that hadn't been filled yeah, yet. Yeah, I mean, so. dating is comedy gold. Like, why is it not... Been mined. <laughs> why has it not been mined? <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think that's like um, one of the things about the dating awkwardness is it, it, all these stories are a little bit exceptional. They're, they're not just stories of going on a Tinder date and and it not going well because the guy was shorter than you thought he was going to be. You know, these are kind of stories where the unexpected really does happen. Yeah, things go wrong in kind of quite spectacular ways sometimes. That's right, yeah. Absolutely. And I think we were quite keen for that as well. I think in most of our stories, it's the protagonist taking the mickey out of themselves, with a few exceptions. But I think we were quite keen when we were kind of looking at what was out there, dating blogs and things. It did... We were cautious. We didn't want it to be a shaming, a shaming podcast. Uh, We wanted it to stay lighthearted. And, you know, we wanted people to listen who are single and in relationships as well and and not feel disheartened by it, but feel kind of, oh, we're in this together. Let's be honest. It's embarrassing and awful, but brilliant as well. And if you're on a date and it's not going well, just think it's going to be a brilliant story later. (laughs) So it could be a swipe left, swipe left story. at the end of it <laughs> that's 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 the kind of uh, comfort we offer our yeah, single friends currently <laughs> what a consolation claire crofton and gavin wong of the swipe left swipe left podcast and claire and gavin are actually moving to new zealand soon to live and they're looking for new stories to feature in season two of the show so if you've got a funny unusual or embarrassing story you'd like to share with them they'd love to hear from you you'll find their contact details and a great list of some of their favorite podcasts on our website now that's at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour usually when you have to explain a joke to someone it means that it hasn't really worked But when you've got a trio of clever comedy writers dissecting some of the jokes in the funniest films and TV shows ever made, it's quite hard not to enjoy the results. The rule of three is a writing principle that suggests that things that come in threes are funnier, more satisfying and more memorable than other numbers. You'll often hear it being used by politicians in their speeches, by coaches in their pep talks and by me at just about every opportunity. Rule of Three is also the name of a podcast hosted by comedy writers Joel Morris and Jason Hazley, where a guest talks about a TV show, film, book or album that makes them laugh. So far, they're 12 episodes in. They featured things like the TV series Bottom, stand-up comedian Bill Hicks, the film Time Bandits, and a good one I've just been listening to, all about Trading Places. That's the 1983 comedy film starring Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, and that's well worth a listen to. This is part of their most recent episode. It features the English comedian and actor Matt Holness, who nominates the executive LP version of the soundtrack of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Can we talk about that that not being able to move, there, there being no safe space in this? Because yeah. Python were very good at that, especially in their books, actually, which are sensational for the yeah. amount of gags they got into yeah. them. But this has got it... On so many, in so many different levels, this is this has got that you can't move for jokes thing. Yeah, right from the title of the album, which is the album of the soundtrack of the trailer of the film of yeah. which, that, <laughs> which we realised actually. I realised this morning we 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 accidentally borrowed that gag when we did the book of the Framley Examiner. It was called the book of the website of the newspaper, yeah. and I thought, oh god, that's that gag, isn't it? I hadn't Again, spotted that. You listen to these. This was school, yeah. this was the course where you go and learn scales. This is comics. So right. You learn how this works, and you learn that. 
And when you look back at the number of times you've reached into this grab bag of tricks yeah. to get a joke, and it's because it's you don't even know it's in there. Well, they're absolutely they're everywhere. They're like mice. Well, be, aren't they? Before there's, you there's even a... get into the actual recording, you've, the actual cover of the album is yeah. like <laughs> full of jokes. I mean, the whole the, the actual cover is a joke because it's sellotaped over something else. On on the if yeah. you turn the sleeve over, it's sellotaped on, <laughs> um, and it's and in the version of it's upside down as well. So they kind yeah. of even sellotaped it on in the wrong order. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of and then all the credits and everything. Every single I think that's just what you're saying about the Python books. What's wonderful about them is every single bit no matter how tiny there is a joke there and you know that that joke will probably be only be noticed by a tiny fraction of the readers or whatever but they've kind of spent as much energy and effort into the tiniest little throwaway joke that's you know in a font that's several sizes too small for you know human eyesight <laughs> but it's there and and you know it's that attention to detail so yes you cannot you know the whole thing everything is it's it's rammed with gags <laughs> what that gives me a sense of as certainly as a kid Growing up with mm. it is that no one's told these people to do this. They're yeah. not. They're, no one's sort of said, "Here's some money, clock on, clock off, finish a day's work." Yeah. Which is, they all came from professional writing jobs. They'd all worked on Doctor in the House and things. And this gets the feeling of going, "This one, this one is the executive version of our career. This yeah. is the special job we get. Where we'll pour an extra ten hours into this because we're doing it for ourselves." And for the first time listening to this, what struck me because it's an audio world. And you've got your headphones mm. listening to this, or back in the old days, actually, it's, it's a headphone listening isn't it? Yeah. It's like hitchhikers. You just lose yeah. yourself in it. Um, Pythons never did a radio show. Most people of their generation went through. They did. Uh, they were in radio shows, but there's not a Monty Python radio show no. that the TV show spins off. And this is their radio yeah. show. The chance to do mm. all the audio jokes. And the person, obviously, and again, how would this not occur to me? The person who steps up and says, I'll do this, is Eric Idle. Yeah. And Eric Idle is a frustrated rock star. Yeah. Because he looks like <laughs> one and he hung out with George Harrison. He loves his rock musicians. And he's also... A wordsmith. Yeah. He's the one who's just the verbal Python, who just likes the rhythm and the what they all like the rhythm and the weight of words. But he's the one who will write those long travel agent sketches yeah. that are just musical riffs on how good the words Watney's Red Barrel feel in your mouth. Uh, and did that <coughs> lovely gibberish sketch for Rotten Weekend Television. If you've never heard oh, the, the gibberish first sketch, sketch, isn't it, in the first episode? And it's just... It's, uh, uh, it's literally gibberish from start to finish. <laughs> good evening and welcome. Foreskin, mousetrap view, Mount Everest, Intray, lobotomy in England. Saddlebag, saddlebag. I see. Uh, rapidly piddle pot strumming Hanover piece pudding mouse rumpling cutly corridor cabinets. Sick in a cup. Door mm-hmm. jam whisper taps Sunderland shower curtain. Ice wallpaper cups crouchingly. Rubber king rap butter kissing feathers. Definitely pheasantry daughter. Successfully douche. Dinner bottom. Machine wrapped with butter. Machine wrapped with butter. <laughs> None of it makes any sense whatsoever, and it's delightful. And it's and that comes out in 1975, same year as this album. Yeah. He's doing lots of jokes in here that are just about what words sound like when you stick them next to each other. Yeah. And that is someone who likes audio, and that is someone who would have just knocked out of the park producing or putting together a radio series. Yeah, yeah. But the Python's radio series are these albums. Yeah. Some of the gags go passed so quickly that you you don't even spot them in some cases. There was a tiny one that I noticed this morning, which was, um, and it's, it's, it is Eric Idle, I think, saying, um, Alf Venables, ex-father of Terry. And you go, hang on, ex-father? That's not a thing. You managed to get one in there. How did yeah. you get that in there? Yeah, it's, it's tiny. 
The Rule of Three podcast, hosted by Joel Morris and Jason Hazley, and thanks to them for letting me play that episode featuring Matt Holness to you. Uh, the show's actually on its summer holidays at the moment, but if you look in the feed, there's an episode called The Clip Show, where it plays some of the best bits from season one, so that's a pretty good place to start a good introduction to some of the stuff they cover and who they speak to. Ologies is a show that I hadn't heard of before, but lots of people keep mentioning it to me when I ask them what podcasts they're enjoying. It's a popular science show hosted by writer and TV host Ali Ward, and each episode takes a different ology, finds a passionate ologist who loves doing it, and then asks them loads of questions. Ali's really enthusiastic, it's accessible, irreverent, and some of the guests are terrific. Ologies is certainly a science show with a sense of humour. I've enjoyed recent episodes on areology, that's the study of the planet Mars, and dendrology, or the study of trees. This one's all about moths and butterflies, or lepidopterology, and it features Phil Torres, who's a well-travelled TV host and lepidopterologist. So I know what a butterfly looks like, but what's the difference between a butterfly and a moth? What's the difference between a butterfly and another winged insect? What are we? What makes it a lepidopterology? So lepidoptera translates as like scaly wing. Okay. So that's one of the number one things. You look at those wings and they're covered in little tiny scales and that's how they get their color. Oh. And that color can be really brilliant and colorful or it can be drab and brown and it kind of depends on the thing. So butterflies get a lot of the glory because we see them more often because they're diurnal. Wait, what is that word again? Diurnal. FYI, I avoid this word a lot because I'm afraid of saying it wrong. And also it sounds like a pee toilet, but it just means not nocturnal. So butterflies awake during the day, which is more than I can say for myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they're just prettier. But really, butterflies are a type of day-flying moth. That's so weird. So when we look at the family tree, there's like moth, 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 butterfly, moth, moth, moth. And... They're kind of considered and, and, you know, amongst most people as like butterflies on the left and moths on the right. <laughs> but really, it's this branch of moths that evolved into this super family, Papillionoidea, that has really done well during the day. Diurnal. And it, that's why it has all these bright colors because those colors help it camouflage or uh, identify a mate or to show that it's poisonous. If it has like bright orange and yellow and black colors or to mimic something that is poisonous. And it's, they're great. So to tell the difference between moth and butterfly, color is one thing. Also look at the way they rest. So a moth generally has its wings folded down. When it's resting. And a butterfly generally has its wings folded up, tucked behind it when it's resting. All right. So it's like a stealth fighter versus a sailboat? Yes. Okay. That is great. I'm going to use that. You are welcome. Please cite me in all of your papers. You got it. (laughs) So butterflies are, are up. Typically, typically. There are some that break the rules. Uh, The rule that basically is never broken is looking at the antenna. Okay. So a butterfly, imagine, you know, you have these two long stalks at the top or two long you know, things sticking out. And then at the very end, it gets a little thick, a little club. If it's got like a club at the end, you were talking about a butterfly here. If it's straight or feathery, we're talking about a moth. Okay. And do they have wildly different eyesight or wildly different like olfactory senses? 
Uh, eyesight for sure. Butterflies, fly, anything that's flying by day. There are moths that fly by day as well. They're going to be very visual. So they're looking for brightly colored flowers that are telling them, hey, we've got some nectar for you. They're looking for conspecifics, others of the same species to figure out if they want to mate or chase them out of their territory. Um, they're looking for predators flying around. They have pretty decent vision to look for anything swooping at them. And you learn that when you're trying to catch them with a butterfly net. They're very tricky sometimes. Is and that good exercise to have it a is, butterfly net? It is very good exercise, yes. It's the real jungle gym when you're out ah. there in the rainforest and you're swinging these things. It's tricky. Some species are way easier to catch and they're kind of low flying and, and just flopping around. And then others are just, they're like jet fighters. They're really tough, really agile, and they're really tricky, which is why sometimes bait traps do the trick. Oh, because I've seen a video of you in your YouTube series, The Jungle Diaries, where you have the world's longest butterfly net. Oh, yeah. How long is it and how heavy is that? Because you've got to get up in the canopy, right? Yes. I was working with my friend, Dr. Susan Finkbeiner. Phil and Dr. Finkbeiner went to Cornell together, and she's now one of the top butterfly researchers ever in the world. She's super tough. She works deep in the jungle, and she uses... This is... Nuts. The longest butterfly net available, possibly on the open market, to catch butterflies in the rainforest canopy. It extends 35 feet. It's a 35-foot-long net. I looked all over for it on the internet. I couldn't even find one to see how much they cost. I think she had to build it herself. Anyway, Phil was like, I'm a buff dude. I can do that also. No, this was not his verbatim thoughts. I just editorialized them. Anyway, he was like, I got this. Teach me how to use it. I'm going to look just like you. It didn't pan out that way. We have to like hike up this crazy stream. And it, I mean, it was amazing place to work. Like that's her office every day. Pretty great. But then you open up the butterfly net and I couldn't even, I could barely hold the thing. It looks so heavy. It just keeps, it's like a clown car. You just keep yep. extending and extending. Like and it, extending it, my arm got tired. I was like, can we, is there like an, a button we can press that this thing happens? <laughs> and so, yeah, holding it, you have to kind of stabilize with your foot and then swinging it and swinging it accurately Ugh. was a whole nother level. But it was, it was a blast. And every time I do something like that, I'm like, this is such a fun job. Like, studying butterflies you just get to do these crazy things like swing 35 foot nets in the middle of the jungle but what about the bait traps if you're like my arm is too tired yeah i'm gonna put out a pile of dung and see what happens is that what happens because you mentioned they were smelly they are smelly so bait traps you get creative and so sometimes you will use a banana bait trap and this is pretty typical throughout the tropics you get bananas you add some water maybe some sugar maybe some beer and what? then you close it up and you let it ferment for a few days you open it up if it smells nice and ripe and like you don't want to be anywhere near it <laughs> then you got some good bait and then you set it in a little cup and in this kind of like cylinder net thing at floating, you know, it'll be floating below the cylinder net thing. And so the butterfly feeds on the bait and then flies up. Oh. And when they fly up, they get caught in that net. Ah. So that's like the most PG-13 version of a butterfly bait. Okay. But then you get a little interesting and we will use rotten fish. So we will ferment like tuna cans. And that was horrible. We will add human urine to it. Hell yeah. And that doesn't make it any better. No. And then you can also use, yeah, poop. 
anything in particular? Anything Generally, in particular? carnivore poop. So if you're a vegan, I'm sorry, but your poop probably won't cut it. <laughs> if you are a carnivore, you have enough. You, you've got some like good sodium and maybe even some nitrogen they might be going for in there. Okay. And so I always joke that. I mean, seeing a jaguar in the wild is an amazing thing. And knowing that they're around, finding images of them on camera traps is great. But what I'm after is jaguar poop. Because when you find jaguar poop, you will see some of the rarest butterflies oh, that God. generally are only found way up on the canopy. But they will come down to the ground to feed on that steamy pile of, <laughs> of goods. And that's just it. There's all these rare resources out there. And so if you make a bait that smells like a rare resource, like pea or uh, rotten fish or rotten fruit, then the butterflies will come. That's an episode of Ologies called Lepidopterology featuring Phil Torres and he was speaking to Ali Ward. And that's all from the podcast show for now. From me, Richard Scott, enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'll be back next week. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.